sounded amazing today. No, but you could. It's horse. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> This is the end of the paper. Who knows about paper? Anybody knows? It's not in the library. 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 Well, so we went uh, a little slow so far, uh, if I want to cover the uh, eight Sikhsastak verses. <laughs> you know, then, uh, by the pace I'm going, I'm going to need eight days, and I guess we don't have eight days. So uh, I'm going to uh, summarize it and, and jump a little bit uh, what to do. Um, we did the first two verses, and the third verse is a very famous verse, which I guess everybody knows, Trinada Pisunichena. Uh, then the next verse is the verse, uh, well, Trinada Pisunichena is the verse where humility is the team, more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree and to be ready to offer all respects to others. Um, we discussed a little bit on humility. Uh, to offer all respects to others is something to note, not only other devotees, but all others, everyone. So that's quite something. Uh, that's really to be respectful to everyone. So that's quite a, quite a change in attitude. So uh, this particular verse is describing It's interesting. These verses are about uh, chanting, eh? and this verse is it's, it's about an attitude. It's not about chanting itself, but it's about having a certain attitude, an attitude of humility, an attitude of uh, dependence, an attitude of seeing that Krishna is the controller rather than we ourselves. Therefore, an attitude of acceptance, uh, tolerating, uh, just seeing that ultimately this is coming my way because of Krishna. When yesterday we were speaking about the topmost devotee who is in Krishna Prem, then uh, we can, uh, Rupa Goswami describes that there is no difference between Bhava and Prem. It's, it's just a difference in intensity. Huh? Prem is more intense than Bhava. 
but both are basically of the same nature. It's not that they are that different. He said, but why, then why, he made a distinction in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, where in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, basically, he, die, he deals with sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti, and prema bhakti. So he says all these other things he counts as in practice, and in bhava bhakti, okay, it's producing fruits now, devotional service in ecstasy, and devotional service in pure love. Why does he make a distinction? Because in prema, there is no sense of, uh, of any obstruction. There's no sense that there's anything wrong in life. Nothing. Everything is perfect. Everything is exactly wonderful. So, I mean, think about that, you know. To come to, I mean, who can say that we experience that? Right? It's like, for example, Radhadesh, too many flies at the moment, right? God, there's flies everywhere. It's just too much, you know. It's just flies, 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 right? <laughs> um, what is a fly anyway, right? What is like, it's, it's like, there's a fly. And what a fly is good for, right? other than harassment? This is a question, of course, one can ask. Maybe there is some purpose that I haven't discovered yet. But it looks like flies are just have one purpose, to harass other living beings, right? Like, you can see the cows and the horses, they have a special fly, anti-fly uh, attachment, you know, to... It's the only reason why that thing is there, is to deal with flies. <laughs> because one... Anyway, my point is that it's not easy to see the whole world as positive. Everything is wonderful. Even flies. So Krishna Prem is something, it is a state of consciousness uh, of deep tolerance and uh, and just thinking of the well-being of all. Understanding that maybe you know, as the as the proverb goes, the Bengali proverb goes that the bee seeks the honey and the fly seeks the sore. Uh, so there is, a, amongst the 800, 8,400,000 species of life, uh, to take that kind of body of a fly, one is not uh, uh, yeah, one has gone down in the lower modes of material nature. Thank you very much for making the sacrifice. Yeah. So back to the, the main topic. Uh, In Krishna Prem, one sees everything positive, but not naively, not sentimentally, 
one can see that, that the fly is a low birth. One can see that a fly is a creature that is very much driven by, by lust. But at the same time, uh, one is also seeing, but there is prasada, right? So it's perfect. Even the flies are making spiritual advancement. They'll accidentally fight some prasadam. And in this way, also, the fly birth is, is not a problem at all. Actually, the flies are benefited. And that the flies walk over our body. We're not the body anyway. Yeah. So, in this way, in Krishna praying, one can see that all in a positive context. I'm trying, because I'm not in Krishna Prem, so I cannot uh, see it like that. I don't like flies, I'm sorry. Sorry about the flies. Anyway, so Krishna Prem is the ultimate state of, of humility and, and tolerance, uh, where one is uh, accepting, it's, it's acceptance. So acceptance is a, is a big thing in life. So if we chant in a mood of dependence and accept acceptance, then, uh, and if we live a life in a mood of dependence and acceptance, then we can chant properly. Then we can chant in a way of taking shelter of Krishna. Then we can get beyond this mood of, listen to me, listen how nice I sing. I do this particular tune very well, right? and I know it. And everyone else is appreciating. Name, fame, glory, and all that. Pratista, uh, the tendency to, for self-glorification. is like so deep and strong how to be free from it. Um, okay, so that's... that's something on, on humility. Uh, can speak a whole year on humility every day and I guess touch upon different aspects. But we won't do that. Not now. Not this year. <laughs> Maybe another year. Uh, so I'll go to the next verse of the success to come, uh, which is Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitam Vadakadisa Kamaye Mama Janmani Janmani Sure Bhavatat Bhakti Rahitakitri. Shi Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, I don't want wealth, I don't want uh, aristocratic birth, I don't want any beautiful women, I don't want any number of followers. The only thing I want is your costless devotional service, birth after birth. Uh, so again, this is, this is humility. This is from, I have no personal agenda. I, I, I have no personal agenda. I have nothing I want to enjoy. I just want your devotional service. So it's a further extension of humility. The next verse is also quite humble because the next verse is, Ainanda Tanuja Kinkaram Patitamam Visame Bavambudu Kripeya Tava Padapangaja Stitatuli Sadhisam Vichintiya 
O son of Maharaj Nanda, somehow or other, or other I've fallen into this ocean of birth and death. Please pick me up from this ocean of death and place me as one of the atoms at your lotus feet. So here we see a devotee who only wants to be an atom in, at the feet of the Lord. Not from like, please make me, you know, one of your intimate associates. Please, you know, can I be a gopi? Um, please, uh, or like, you know, uh, maybe one of your parents or something, you know, something significant. Right? We cannot be Nanda and Yasoda huh? because they are eternal, they're already there. But we can become like aunties and uncles of Krishna, almost like parents. Right? So in that way, have or nurses, and in that, like Putana, Putana became a nurse. Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur explains that Putana, because she offered Krishna the breast with poison, uh, Krishna took, took the milk. And because he took the milk, he accepted her as his mother. Of course, he took the poison also, that didn't affect him. And then he also took her life, which didn't affect him either, but affected her. And uh, it affected her in an amazing way because she became a datri, a nurse, Krishna's nurse in the spiritual world for offering the milk. And that's very famous. So Krishna takes the good amidst the bad. And doesn't see the bad, he sees only the good. So that's sort of a relief for us, right? Uh, that's encouraging. Anyway, so in this way, we, can, we could have prayed for all these things, uh, for a exalted position, but Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, no, an atom, you know, the smallest particle, right? that's the smallest particle we know. The, so please let me be the smallest particle, but at your lotus feet. Uh, so, so three verses really uh, dealing with humility. Raghunadas Goswami would say that of all the five rasas, I will only ask for dasya. He said, like on my own, I will only take servitorship. And the higher rasas, I will not pursue them. I will not pursue them unless asked by the Vaishnavas. That was his approach. So... Uh, so the Acharyas, they show some extraordinary uh, humility. Uh, let it out. Otherwise your brain is sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the topic of humility is just too big to take on seriously, I think. And uh, with the limited time we have, uh, and we already spoke about it a little bit, so I'm not going to...
cover it more than this. I'm just gonna gonna leave it for what it is, uh, knowing well that there is a lot more that I, that we could have done with it. But uh, the reason that I want to move on is. Uh, is because otherwise tomorrow I get too much in you know at, at, the, at the end and that's like also uh, let me just turn on the machine and go to the success stack uh, Sorry, I'm not good at multitasking, so when I look at a computer, I have to stop speaking or I'll start talking nonsense. Yeah, so here we were with that. Okay, I found. So then the later verses uh, are verses that... Uh, no, I have to focus my mind. So, so far we're speaking about uh, verses that describe a the first verse describes purification second verse describes the potency of the holy name and how we can have full faith and then we are getting three verses about an attitude an attitude of humility an attitude of not looking for any material benefit only uh, only devotional service life after life so not even looking for any benefit for the afterlife. And then we come to uh, all that we, but we do want one thing, we want shelter at your lotus feet. But in the most humble position, as an atom. Yeah. So you can see, these are, these are like uh, an attitude and, uh, and kind of uh, preliminary uh, in the sense that uh, yeah, okay, now I'm there. So then the next verse uh, begins to speak about advanced Krishna consciousness. Nayanam galadas rudariya, vadanam gatgara rudiya gira, pulakir nichitam vapukkara, tavana me nama grahane bhavishyati. My dear Lord, when will my eyes be beautified by filling with tears that constantly glide down as I chant your holy name? When will my voice falter and all the hairs on my body stand erect in transcendental happiness as I chant your holy name? So now suddenly I've gone to a level, you know, where it gets very exalted. Uh, now we've come to uh, 
chanting with love, or at least with tears and, and something, with ecstasy and with attachment at least. Uh, so now we have gone to the higher stages of devotional service, which yesterday I think you may remember, hope you remember, that sort of hierarchy up to praying. Uh, Nista is where we are determined. In Nista we were on top of the hill. We had pushed our car all the way up the hill. And Nista finally on top of the hill. And then it started flowing. Then, our, then we became captured in the river by the current of the river. And suddenly our spiritual life started to go automatically. Everything was drawing us to Krishna. Instead of that, that process where the mind always has to be brought back in japa, it's like, you know, our mind automatically is just drawn to Krishna, thinking about Krishna, and our eagerness for more Krishna consciousness is now awakened, uh, and taste begins to come, and, we, and then the deeper emotions. It is at that stage uh, that tears may come to the eyes. Now, Srila Prabhupada, in the Nectar of Devotion, describes that there are different, well, different people with different natures. Uh, and he's saying that there are people, they have a heart like a cotton swab, a little, tiny little thread of cotton. And if you blow very mildly, that little thread will move. So he said, some people have a heart like a cotton swab. Eh? The slightest little thing, they're like, oh, oh, oh. tears are like, start running down their, their cheeks, and they're just like, oh, oh, the holy name, oh, Krishna, Hare Krishna. Oh. <clears throat> Others, you know, they have a very different nature, they're more, more serious, more sober nature. And even after, uh, uh, e even when they're emotional, it doesn't show. It doesn't show. Uh, so it is said that uh, the cotton swab heart, they sh their feelings are just overwhelmingly strong and always very present. And the one with a golden heart, the feelings are more remaining internal, more hidden, but they are, uh, they're also there, they're also very deep. In the advanced state of devotional service, the heart begins to melt. This is known as sneha. So this sneha is anyway there in, uh, in whether we have a cotton swab heart or whether we have a uh, golden heart. Oh. Okay. What kind of heart do you think Srila Prabhupada was having? Cotton swap or, or golden? Golden. You think a cotton swap? Huh? No. Golden. Huh? Jaladuta prayers. Yes. 
God's, what are the jhana duty prayers? She's saying, like, um, my desire to um, be a puppet, maybe dance, maybe dance. Um, mm-hmm. I have no power to bring people to your lotus feet. Only if you. Little louder, little louder. Sorry? Little louder. I mean, like, only if you make me. Bhakti Vedanta, you know, but to preach this message to the West, you know, I have no qualification. He's, you know, it's basically prayers of humility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had something also. And he didn't go with a real blow. He yeah. had a fixed determination. That's why I would not say cotton swore. Right. Right. Any other comments? Yeah, I would also say as a, as a serious nature, Prabhupada had a quite a grave. Prabhupada was known as grave, right? And as uh, as deep. And sometimes the emotions would suddenly come to the forefront. Huh? Everyone uh, saw moments that, that Prabhupada was becoming very ecstatic. Moments that he was uh, very, very uh, overwhelmed. Like there's the story about the tear that looked like a diamond, and the Prabhupada just this this one tear came in his eye, and it was so brilliant. Everyone saw it. It was like a diamond. And the devotees are talking about. It. Did you see that like diamond tear? And everyone saw. It. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, Prabhupada was quiet, and there's just this tear, this incredible, brilliant, diamond tear in his eye. I don't know. Uh, one may think, well, were the devotees just uh, uh, seeing such things? But no, we don't think so. So sometimes the emotions would come out, and that can happen also with a uh, with a very uh, sober personality. Um, the, uh, different stages are described in uh, in uh, of Krishna praying, and I can quickly search it since I have. When Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to Jagannath Puri, uh, 
Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went to the temple of Lord Jagannath. He had gone there with great eagerness. He had run ahead of the other devotees upon seeing the chakra of the temple of Lord Jagannath. And as a result, the Lord just became so eager to see Lord Jagannath that he ran ahead and the other devotees, they couldn't keep up with him. Therefore, Lord Chaitanya reached the temple all alone. And Lord Chaitanya went into the temple and upon seeing the deity, he saw Krishna. He didn't just see the deity, but he saw Krishna. And as a result, he just desired to embrace Krishna and he just jumped towards the deity and then fainted. So there are guards in the temple and the guards, they were like, uh, you know, totally, uh, totally, totally beyond themselves. I mean, how is this possible? You know what I mean? Like this, this man tried to attack the deities. But Sarvabhamabhattacharya, who was the, the guru of the king, so he came and stopped them. And, you know, you don't mess with the guru of the king. So all the guards backed off. And then Sarvabhama Bhattacharya was very learned, a great scholar. So he investigated uh, what the sannyasi was lying on the ground, and he, he put a little cotton swap, actually, in front of his mouth, and he saw that there was still some, some breathing, but very, very, very little. So he could see he's alive. Then he checked out other symptoms, and he could see that there were ecstatic transformations in the body of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he could see that these were the symptoms of Sudipta Sattvika, not purport. The word Sudipta Sattvika is explained as follows by Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. The Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu mentions eight kinds of transcendental transformations in the body of advanced devotees. These are sometimes checked by the devotee. And there are two stages of such checking, technically, technically known as Dumaita and Jalita. The Dumaita is the, the smoking stage, is exhibited when only one or two transformations are slightly present and it's possible to conceal them. When more than two or three transcendental transformations are present and it's still possible to conceal them, conceal them although with great difficulty, that stage is called jvalita, lighted. When four or five symptoms are exhibited, the dipta, blazing stage, has been reached. When five or six or all eight symptoms are simultaneously manifest, that position is called udipta, inflamed. And when all eight symptoms are multiplied a thousand times and all visible at once, the devotee is in the sudipta, intensely inflamed stage. So Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is in the intensely and flamed stage of chanting the holy name. Yes. So, all right, we are speaking about uh, stages that are way beyond our advancement now. But, uh, yeah, obviously it is the idea that uh, that one comes to, to advanced stages of chanting. Um, 
Ja, dat... dat uh, I'm not sure where I'm going today. That's I have to first figure out. Because so far this whole presentation is... Uh, is... Um, is spontaneous and not prepared. And, uh, but I had a strategy. But now I have to decide. Because my strategy was use the uh, success to come as an anchor and then go into the uh, pastimes of Lloyd Chaitanya. So uh, let's just do that. This was something on the success to come. Something about... So today we covered a few verses. Uh, we covered three verses. I'll just write the numbers of the verses. Okay, no, verse... Three, four, and five we covered. And, and so they all... Uh, uh, three and four and five deal all with humility in a, in a different way. Uh, and I explained how. And then in verse 6, uh, we come to uh, an ecstatic stage of uh, ecstatic chanting. And the next verses will, will stay there at an, at an ecstatic stage of chanting. Um, six and seven and eight also. Um, so then let's uh, let's go to Sri uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So one day, uh, one day Advaita Acharya came to all the devotees and Advaita Acharya was saying that I, I have a wonderful idea. I'm sure you're going to really like this idea. He said, today, today we will not chant Hare Krishna. Today we will chant the name of Lord Chaitanya. And all the devotees are, were a little hesitant. They were a little hesitant because they knew that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't like it to be publicly referred to as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But Advaita Acharya was, was very determined and enthusiastic, and then all the devotees became swept up in it, and the devotees said, yes, 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 we will chant, we will chant the name of, of the Lord. And they desired it. And then Advaita Acharya said, but I will not sing. I will not sing because my voice is very loud, and when I sing, everyone becomes afraid. Therefore, I will only dance. So then everyone became hesitant again, you know. First he proposes to do something for which they may get in trouble, right? and then he backs out after they agree to do it. Anyway, the devotees, they started, but then Advaita Acharya became so ecstatic that he did begin to sing and he spontaneously composed a song glorifying 
uh, Lord Chaitanya, that song is also there in the Chaitanya Bhagavad. And then, uh, yeah, the devotees, they all became so overwhelmed with ecstasy that they just started to chant the name of Lord Chaitanya, Lord Karanga. And uh, as they're chanting the name, they're approaching Lord Chaitanya. As Lord Chaitanya heard the devotees chant his name, he was hiding, he went inside the house. But the devotees, they followed him and they were chanting in front of the door. And they just kept on, on singing and they were just laughing and, and so ecstatic. And they went into the house chanting the name of Lord Chaitanya. Finally, Lord Chaitanya stopped them. So they stopped. And Lord Chaitanya said, what are you doing? Why are you publicly showing what I'm trying to hide? And then he said to Srivas, Srivas, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Then Srivas, he lifted his hand and held it in front of the sun. And he's blocking the light of the sun with his hand. The Lord said, what are you doing? Shiva said, I'm blocking the, sun with, the light of the sun with my hand. He said, like, how is that possible? That's right, how is it possible? How can we conceal your glories? You know, how can we hide your glories? Everyone, everyone is chanting your glories. Are you saying that we are spreading your glories or, or that just the people themselves are chanting your glories. So then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was quiet and accepted it, uh, defeated by Srivasa's his arguments. So it's interesting for a moment. I don't know if you have had any discussion with Krishna Ksetra Maharaj on this matter about chanting, about different kinds of kirtan. You must have had something because he did the history of, of kirtan going way back. But he said, he, he told me uh, that he stopped at the Bengalis. Is it? Uh, so maybe... I'll start something, if I'm duplicating a lot, then, then somebody just say. Uh, uh, yeah, there's of course uh, different kinds of kirtan. Nam kirtan, guna kirtan, and lila kirtan. Uh, and uh, sometimes, uh, for example, it is described that Pundarik Vijanidi was coming. Pundarik is coming, Pundarik Vijanidi is coming. Mukunda, Mukunda was totally excited because Mukunda and Vasudev Datta, they were two brothers, they came from the same area where Pundarik came from, namely near in the Chittagong district in East Bengal. It's like the southeast of, uh, of, of what is now Bangladesh um, because in 1947, they basically cut 
the land of Lord Chaitanya's pastimes in half. Right? It's like bang. So there's a whole section of 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 yeah of Lord Chaitanya's pastimes or associates that is sort of on the eastern side. So it's interesting to go to Bangladesh. There is like the hidden a hidden pilgrimage one can make. I I did it. So I went there to Chittagong, to that place uh, where Pundarik Vijanidi appeared. Pundarik is described by Murari Gupta. Uh, Murari Gupta, see Murari Gupta, he lived in Navadvip with Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was about 15 years older than Nimai Pandit. But daily he would meet Nimai Pandit when he was so learned. And daily, Nimai would challenge him and said, Murari, right? Defeat me based on arguments of the scripture. And then they would speak about some philosophical point and they would argue. And in the end, after a big debate, Murari would be defeated every day. And then Nimai would say, go back home and study your scriptures. Right? And in this way, he would send him away. So, uh, after Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas, it was in 1510. And in 1510, Navadvip stopped. The life in Navadvip came to a total end. Navadvip had been the hub. There had been daily sankirtan in Navadvip everywhere. The holy name had been heard from the house of Srivas in the courtyard in Srivas house. The holy name had spilled into the streets. They had the protest when the Chantkazi's man had broken the Madanga on his order and so on. And then we had this huge kirtan that had gone to the palace of the Chantkazi with millions of people where there were thousands of Madanga all playing synchronized. And it sounded like the clap of thunder, where there were so many torches that it was as if there was daylight, where thieves were seeing the doors of houses were open and were going inside, but never made it beyond the doorway and then turned around and then also became caught up in the kirtan. That kirtan went to the palace, the palace of the Chamkasi. All these things that happened in Navadvip and so many more things that happened in Navadvip and Navadvip was the center of the universe. And suddenly in 1510, it all ended. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas. He left Navadvip. Life in Navadvip stopped. It just stopped. Srivas could no longer tolerate it. Srivas decided to move away. He moved away to Kumar Hatta. He could no longer live there. Because by living in Navadvip, he would be confronted every day with the absence of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It was just too much. Murari, Murari would have died, but the only way that Murari stayed alive was by writing a diary. Murari, therefore, in 1510, started writing started writing his diary, known as the uh, Chaitanya Charita Mahakavya, or sometimes 
Murari's Kadacha, means Murari's notebook. No? So Murari's Kadacha was, uh, is describing in the first chapter how all the elders were there in Navadvip before Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared. Uh, elders such as Gopinath Acharya were there, who later was in Jagannath Puri as the brother-in-law of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. Elders such as Pundarik Vijanidi were there, who had come from East Bengal and was residing there. Uh, Advaita Acharya had a house in Shantipur, but also in Navadvip. Uh, Srivas, Srivas settled there. In this way, the elders who were preceding Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had settled there in Navadvip, and somehow or other, although now they had forgotten their eternal identity, somehow or other, they were very much attracted to each other's association. Pundarik Vijanidhi uh, would come and go. Sometimes Pundarik would stay in Navadvip and sometimes he would return to East Bengal. So even later when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was present and, and had manifested himself as a transcendental personality, then also Pundarik was coming. So Pundarik was coming and Mukunda was very excited. And Mukunda told Gadadhar. And when Gadadhar heard it, Gadadhar also became attracted and excited. So Gadadhar wanted to meet Pundarik Vijanidi. And Pundarik was seated on a sofa. And next to him, there were pots. There were pots with scented water. And there were flower decorations. And there was incense also in incense holders, bellowing, all sitting next to him. His, his hair was very nicely trimmed. I mean, really, somebody had been spending hours in like a, a coiffure, right? It was uh, in that way, Pundarik was, uh, he was dressed in beautiful silk. He had rings on every finger, kind of. So, so when Gadadhar came with Mukunda, he came full of anticipation. He expected a great devotee. And next moment, he saw Pundarik seated there. And servants were offering battle nuts and Pundarik was chewing the palm. And Gadada was looking like, whoa, whoa, you know, is, is he a devotee at me? I mean, uh, he just looks like a show bottle devotee. Then Mukunda <coughs> saw the expression on Gadada's face. And Mukunda was a great singer. Mukunda had a very sweet voice. And then Mukunda sang a song 
And the song he sang with a very sweet voice was describing Putana. And how Putana, how Putana was delivered and got the mercy. How Putana got the mercy and became, although she was a witch and although she tried to kill Krishna, Putana was given the position of Krishna's mother. And this, this Mukunda was singing this song. And when Pundarik Vijaniri heard that song, he went beyond himself. I've got to, I'm going to do it very careful. Pundarik kicked. And the pots just flew in all directions. And Pundarik just crashed off the sofa and rolled on the ground and messed up his hair and his silken clothes and it's like just rolled in the water and, and whatever right? and made a total mess of himself. And uh, then Kadhadar understood. And Kadhadar understood, I've made a big mistake. Oh. Pundarik is such an amazing devotee. Oh. Such an amazing devotee. Oh. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when seeing Pundarik, Pundarik was elder, and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would call him father. And he would call him father. It's just like, what is, why is he calling him father? Because he's old man? Hey, father? You know, maybe, uh, some thought maybe because he's an old man. But no, not because he was an older man, but because Pundarik Vijaniri in Krishna Lila is none other than Maharaj Vrishabhanu. As we all know, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is none different from Krishna himself. Satchi Sutta Holase Brajinda Nandanji or Balaram Holanitai. Balaram is Nichananda. So in this way, we see that uh, Pundarik Vijaniri is, is acting in this double identity. He is in the mood of Maharaj Visabhanu, who is like a king. Yeah. So therefore, seated on a sofa, and therefore he has all these uh, attributes. In this way, Pundarik is... Uh, yeah, is, um, is living in this double identity. Um, the double identity is, is very important in the whole Chaitanya Leela. The, the book Gorganadesh Deepika is the book that uh, describes the double identity. Mm. And we're seeing how Pundarik uh, was listening to this uh, Lila Kirtan. It was Lila Kirtan. It described the pastimes of uh, of uh, of Putana and the mercy that Krishna gave her. So there is Nam Kirtan, Guna Kirtan, describing the qualities of Krishna. In the songs of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in Gitavali, for example, we find descriptions about uh, the qualities of Krishna. Uh -huh. 
even a song like Yasumati Nandana, uh, Yasumati Nandana is also uh, describing qualities of, of Krishna. Sundarananda Gopala, uh, beautiful. Uh, Nanda Gopala, beautiful, this, the, uh, the coward boy who is the son of Nanda, uh, like that. So these devotees of, of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, at one point are living in that uh, eternal identity. Uh, this is something that spiritual life ooh, does. I have to stretch anyway, so if this is convenient. Spiritual life uh, begins well, I was using from the Bhakti Sandarbha the example of the devotee who has two feet in the material world but the eyes on the spiritual sky. And I also spoke about one who has one foot in the material world and one foot in the spiritual world. Now we're all meant to go there. So in the beginning, in our spiritual life, we are gradually being beginning to see like that. We're not this body. We're eternal spirit soul, eternal servant of Krishna. Our eternal spiritual identity has now become covered. But in due course of time, Nietzsche Siddha Krishna Prem, Sadhu Kamunai, Shavanadi, Sudhachita Kayudu Udai, in due course of time it will be awakened. So we begin to stretch the leg, but there's no weight on it. All the weight is on the material leg. And in this way we're chanting Hare Krishna, in this way we're practicing devotional service. But in our consciousness, all the weight is on the material world. The spiritual world looks far away. It's interesting, but far away. Gradually, we begin to invest more in that spiritual identity. And gradually more weight goes on the spiritual leg. Right? Until we come to the point, spread a little more, where all the where, where more and more weight is here, and eventually the weight shifts towards the spiritual leg, and there's no more weight on the material leg. So that's sort of where we are going yeah. in this ecstatic chanting, where the weight starts to go on the <coughs> spiritual uh, leg, and uh, yeah, th this is is what happens in the chanting in due course of time, right? and in spiritual life, where more and more we begin to see ourselves like that, as the eternal servant of Krishna and the, temp the temporary identity in this world, and that's just a, a drama, you know? I mean, just like Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj in the end, right? You can read Maharaj's final Vyasa Puja offering, you know? and uh, it's, it's what he does there. Uh, that was written a few months before he left, and he knew that you know, he had terminal cancer, so he was uh, sort of... And then he says, uh, uh, Goodbye, Johnny Boy. Goodbye, John Travers. Uh, goodbye, Abdullah something. Goodbye, 
Uh, well, there's some more names which I forgot. Goodbye, Ganesham. Goodbye, uh, Bhakti Tirta Swami. Goodbye, Swami Krishnapat. Right? So these are all the des all different identities that he had had at different points. Right? Where he was Johnny Boy, just his mother's favorite, uh, as, a, as a boy, uh, one who would uh, go to a prayer group, and there in the prayer group, uh, they would, uh, they prayed for miracles. They said some miracles happened. Someone with a bad leg, they said they cured the leg, their prayer group. So Maharaj said. And, uh, and then as a, as a student, uh, he became Abdullah for a while. And, uh, but then a devotee, Ganesham, uh, so much preaching for the library party in the Middle East, yeah, going there, uh, not in the Middle East, sorry, in the, in the, behind the Iron Curtain in, in the East Block of Europe. And, uh, and then becoming a sannyasi, Bhakti Tirta Swami, becoming a guru, so, but all these, saying goodbye to all these identities. So, that's somewhere, uh, that makes a big difference, obviously, if we chant from a material identity or if we chant from a spiritual identity. And where we see that the material identity is only a, a costume. Now I'm wearing this costume. Hulk, <laughs> right? that's what I've got, right? you know. <laughs> For a while, I had one devotee who was traveling me, with me and he said, if you're not beautiful, then you go for the gorilla look. <laughs> so that's what he did. <laughs> Uh, what shall I say? So these material bodies, right, who are, one, one begins to really see, like, you know, what have I got to do with this? Yeah. And totally living in that identity with Krishna. So yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, in that world, of course, the whole reality of Krishna is just, just, uh, so much greater and so much more wonderful than uh, than reality here. Here we're basically all caught, right? Everyone is caught. Uh, sometimes the material body is described like a prison. Huh? We are in prison in the material world and our cell is the material body. That's it. You're locked in that cell. Maybe you never thought of it like that, but it's a cell and we're locked in. You can't get out even if you want to. Uh, some are doing some astral travels and they're out for a moment, but then back in. Uh, still can't escape. Locked in. And then it says, locked by the bars of sex life. Right? 
that locks us in the body. Because that's the one thing for which the body appears to be a good thing. Uh, I had read in, in one of Prabhupada's books that, uh, there, that there used to be in the Vedic, in Ayurveda, that they used to know a herb. And if you would touch that herb to the tooth, all the bacteria would leave that tooth and immediately the tooth egg would be healed. Meanwhile, I was lying in a dentist chair and was doing some serious work there. And I was thinking, if only I would know what herb it was. <laughs> you know, it's like ignorance is bliss, you know. It's like, it's like God, you know. Didn't know. No idea what herb. Yeah, so here we are, um, caught in these material bodies. Um, what is the enjoyment that the material body offers? How good is it? It's just that those few bars that sort of, well, it's not so bad, actually. The tongue, actually. Um, it begins with the tongue, tongue, belly, genitals. So eating also is, is a big thing. Um, it said that the same tongue that is uncontrolled, uncontrolled in what we eat and uncontrolled in what we speak, that same tongue is, which is entangling us, that very same tongue can liberate us by chanting. It says, as a, uh, a big ship is controlled by a small piece of metal, a rudder. It's only small, but the whole ship is controlled by that rudder. In the same way, our whole destiny is controlled by the tongue whatever we do with the tongue, then if we just bring the tongue under control, everything becomes uh, adjusted. But it's not so easy to bring the tongue under control. It's not easy to control eating. You know, when no one is watching, sort of like, Where do you go? Ah, <laughs> <Top>, nothing. <laughs> uh, uh, difficult, uh, difficult to control the tongue. My mother told us uh, a fairy tale, which I still remember quite well, and it was about two princesses, and one when she opened her mouth. Uh, roses would come out and the other princess frogs right so one whenever so we are sort of uh, now that we are devotees we try for roses right dear prabhu please you know accept my humble obeisances um, <clears throat> you're doing such wonderful service rose rose after rose but every once in a while a frog jumps out and they go, oh my god, you can't put it back. And the thing bounces around the room in all its ugliness. Uh, 
So this is, is, uh, is a problem that we are facing. So, uh, what I'm speaking about today is basically the... Uh, automatic... result and the conscious All this chanting is there, there's the automatic result of the chanting and you just chant and you get purified and you just keep on chanting and you know and everything will manifest, don't worry, you'll get your spiritual body one day, you'll chant, you know, and you'll be, you'll, you'll, one day you'll be with Krishna, right? automatic result. And then next to it the conscious effort. We have to try to be humble, we have to try to be tolerant, we have to try and uh, engage in hearing and chanting, uh, you know, uh, not this, not that, right? Do not, uh, do not take on uh, mundane influences. Yeah. Make a break a little later because I'm just a slow start today. I was tired, I was waking up. So, um, sometimes we say, if Krishna is all attractive, then why should there be restrictions? Why do we need a castle which has only green trees around it, far away from the world, where we are hidden, and where, you know, why can't we just be in the middle of the city, you know, there, 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 there. Amen. Go, go, go. Okay. Why not? Why are we here? You know, tweet, tweet, birdie, birdie, you know. <laughs> it's green in all directions. My God, it's green everywhere. Help. <laughs> It's like, uh, here we are. It's like, you know, no signal. <laughs> oh my God, you know, oh no. Here we are. Why do we need to be so isolated? What are we isolating ourselves from? If Krishna is so strong, then why are we afraid of Maya? Shouldn't Krishna, if Krishna is the Supreme Lord, shouldn't Krishna be victorious automatically? What do you think? Why? I'll give it five minutes and then we'll take the break. Your turn. Because we're so conditioned. We're so conditioned. Sorry, okay. No, no, that's okay. Spontaneous, always good. Yeah. Krishna's strong, but we're weak. <laughs> Krishna's strong, but we're weak. So we have to work very hard at focusing. And we, we get very distracted by the material world. Even here. Yeah. 
So what does that mean then, that we're so conditioned to that, like... Um, that from, from our birth, we, we are in forgetfulness of Krishna, of our relationship with Krishna, and we are so focused on, on, on this material world, but it, it takes a very big effort to, to begin to focus on Krishna, to begin to relate to Krishna. Well, that's the way it is for me. Yeah. No, yeah. no, for all of us, I'm sure. Yeah. You're yeah. speaking for all of us. That's, that's very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she's got it. Yeah. Very nicely. You know, it's true, you grow up, I mean, knowing that you're the body. Yeah? Oh, yes, I'm this. This is me. Yeah, I was... Uh, I always had more energy than other kids, you know, and I was happy about that, yeah. And, you know, there was a gap between my teeth, yeah, and I could do a police whistle. <laughs> that was a, very loud, you know, very loud. And then I had to have braces, you know, braces, and this, there's this little muscle on my lip which was too, too low, the braces wouldn't fit, and they sent me to this doctor, and he cut it, you know. And then after, I lost my police whistle. Oh my God, God, mutilated. <laughs> I was a police whistle. I was a police whistle, and now I am no more. So the identification is very strong, but still. What do you think of this argument? If Krishna is all attractive, shouldn't he be more attractive than, than all this conditioning that we have? Shouldn't we naturally, shouldn't everyone naturally, when they see Krishna, become attracted to Krishna? And why, why isn't the castle packed with people who want to live here? Um, I had something interesting. I can't remember if I was talking to Sunil about it or one other devotee, um, but um, we were talking about Maya and how Maya is so strong in the material world and he was saying that um, Maya is also, like I was saying, Maya is also a devotee of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then he made the nice point that like Maya is doing her devotional service, her japa, her kirtan, so much better than we are, that her service is to make us conditioned, put us in illusion, so that we, like, it's so strong that her service is that good, so that we become like this. Yeah, so, 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 a lot of, you know, when we speak about the conscious effort, it seems that a lot of our energy goes into uh, trying to not be in Maya, trying to get out of Maya, you know what I'm saying? It's like controlling our tendencies for Maya. It's like Maya is Maya, Maya, Maya. A lot of... Um, so it's said that Maya is so strong because the material energy is a reflection of, of the spiritual energy. The spiritual energy is unlimited, full of Krishna's opulence, 
and the material energy is the shadow reflection of the spiritual energy and therefore Maya has like all this unlimited attraction borrowing from Krishna and that's why Maya is so attractive um, and that's why we have some Initially, yes, we are conditioned. We are addicted also. Because we are by nature pleasure-seeking. Anandamai Byasat. And conditioned means that we have been seeking our pleasure in the wrong things. Not with Krishna, but with other things. And while we are seeking our pleasure in these wrong things, we've also developed attachment to these things. So conditioning means we become attached to these things. And these things, they make us small-minded. They make a, a very small world. And in these things, there's happiness and distress. Therefore, we're always in anxiety. I hope nothing will go wrong. You know what I mean? I hope it won't go wrong. Please, you know. Uh, it's like, you know. Some people, when they get married, they make a contract where the divorce uh, terms are already included, <laughs> just in case, you know what I'm saying? Yeah? Better be sure. So we are in this way. Uh, yeah, we have to... Um, focus on so in the beginning when the weight is on the material leg that means the attachments to the material enjoyment to the material happiness is strong we want Krishna but the attachment to the material enjoyment is strong at that state we are following rules and regulations of restriction not this not that the at that stage, the following, Vaidhi Bhakti, uh, rules and regulations, devotion. And when the weight goes on the spiritual leg, then the influence of Maya diminishes and goes in the background. And the pleasure of Krishna comes to the foreground. And then we can become more spontaneous. You're just... No, I was just scratching for that. It is scratching. <laughs> okay. So then, uh, that's enough, because it's 11. Oh, it's 12.30, so I guess we'll... Uh, shall we take 15 minutes this time? Quarter to one, and then...
any questions or comments or whatever. I'd like to ask you, you mentioned that, no, I don't know what, but actually, um, what should be our attitude towards this world? Like, are, should we be positive that here, okay, we have to carry on with Krishna consciousness, but outside it's so bad, you know, and what is that, uh, the golden middle? Um, in the Bhagavad Gita, the uh, model is given of the tortoise, and it says the tortoise lives in his house and only puts the legs out for, uh, for service of Krishna. So that's the, the ultimate way. I mean, the material world is a dangerous place. Uh, you see a picture of, of Ganga Devi, and you see how Ganga Devi is depicted as a beautiful goddess, but all these demigods, you know, the, all these celestial beings, rather, that's the better word, these celestial beings, they have, uh, they, they have a particular animal for their vehicle. And Ganga Devi rides on a crocodile. So why is she riding on a crocodile? Because Ganga is spiritual, but Ganga comes into the material world. So the, so the crocodile rep represents the material world. And the material world is, yeah, as a crocodile, you know, you can, if you, if you bring up a lion as, as a little cup and you just bottle and everything and patting the lion, you know, you little pussycat and give it some milk and then eventually the little pussycat becomes a big cat. But that lion can be tamed. And there can be some sort of relationship. But a crocodile, a croc is a croc. Right? You can bring up the croc, and when it grows up, it eats your leg. Right? That's a croc. There's no such thing as, as a tame croc. A croc is a croc. Right? Once a croc, always a croc. It's a treacherous being, basically. So the... Uh, material energy is, is represented as a crocodile. You can never trust the material energy. And if you had any doubts, I'll tell you a story. One time we were going from here in Radhadesh with an excursion with a bus to the, uh, to the north. So, tour of Scandinavia. So the organizers of the bus tour in order to get the mood going, they were showing us uh, movies of uh, polar bears and penguins and, uh, and all these kind of uh, things, you know, like to sort of really get the Scandinavian feeling that we're going to, whoa, to the north. And uh, at one point, they're showing these uh, emperor penguins, you know, these like big penguins, one meter 25, right, tall, and they're showing how uh, penguins lay the eggs and both, the male and the female, take turns in sitting on the eggs. Right? And, uh, and this goes on as it is uh, towards the end of the summer. Right? 
climate. And of course, in the polar regions, it's uh, uh, in the summer it's it's the it's it's light, and in the winter it's just dark. Right? It's just so. Uh, then when the winter comes, the polar winter, temperatures go like minus seventy. So at the beginning of the winter, the ladies go south and they stay at an island. And it's the men, it's the men that stay there throughout the polar winter, the polar night, and sit on those eggs. Right? And those guys, they sit there at minus 70 with polar storms and polar winds on those eggs. And I tell you one thing, you know, they keep them warm. <laughs> and that, you know. Then, as the first rays of sunlight appear in the sky and the end of the polar night is in sight, then those courageous males, they abandon the eggs. And they go south and join the ladies for some holidays, I guess. And the sun comes out and everything becomes light and the rays of the sun warm the eggs and after a while as the as the the warmth of the sun sets in the eggs begin to crack and before you know it there's thousands of little penguins thousands of little penguins on the ice and you know the ice is sort of sloping a bit towards the sea and those penguins, those little penguins, you know, their feet just like natural skis. So within moments, right, they are like, they know how to ski, like expert skiers, you know, and they go down the slope. Oh, thousands of them skiing down. And there's like, there's the edge of the ice and the water and they all go like, about to plunge in the water when these huge jaws appear of a killer whale and he swallows all the penguins. And I'm still traumatized from that movie. I mean, you know, it's just like, oh, he ate all my penguins. Oh my God. <laughs> and they're having so much fun. Just at the height of their fun. He ate them all. It's just like, it's just too much. I mean, it's just like a horror movie, you know? Worse than Dracula, I tell you. <laughs> That's just too much. I mean, Dracula, you know, what is it? Some guy, uh, <laughs> go away, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Boring, you know. You got something else, you know. We, sorry, other channel. But there on the other channel, there's a killer whale and it eats all the penguins. And now, that's material life. Oh, little penguin. Don't forget that there is always a killer whale lurking somewhere. And just at the height of the fun. <laughs> yeah. So the material world is basically a place. Let's get out of here. That's the first thing. Let's really, let's... Let's just get out of here. Let's make this the last life in the material world. Why not? May as well go back to Godhead. And let's therefore be a little careful with Maya. 
it's not unnecessarily mess around, play around. You know, how far can I take it? You know, you see, there is the fish, you know. You think, you think that fish have no brain? They do. You know, you think that fish have no eyes? Fish have enormous eyes. If our eyes would be as big as a fish eye, our eyes would be somewhere up to like our waist, you know? Huh? Walking around with, like big eyes. So you think a fish cannot see or what? You think a fish is blind? No. So the fish is swimming in the water and then the fish is like, oh my God, look at that worm. Mmm, gosh, it looks delicious. Ooh, fat and juicy worm. Mmm, yum, yum. Oh, wow. Oh, but look at that hook. Look at that nasty hook. Ooh, that's mean. That's brutal. Oh, oh, oh. Look at that. It's that sharp points and little hooks on the side. Ooh, ooh, terrible hook. But God, such a delicious worm. Uh, what to do? Swim past. Swim past again. Then, what if I nibble a little bit of the side? I won't eat the hook. I won't bite the hook. No, no, no. I'll just nibble a little. Just a little. Nothing will happen. Nibble, nibble, nibble. Nothing happened. Hey, I have the formula. I have the formula. I know, I know how to deal with Maya. You just nibble a little. Mm, nibble a little, no problem, Prabhu. Just have to know how far to go. <laughs> hurry, hurry. Here we go. But the fisher lady known as Maya, who's sitting there and has actually thrown out this bait, she is seeing that this, there is a fish that is nibbling because the floater is moving. And being expert, Maya suddenly grabs the fishing rod and with a fast movement of the wrist, the hook just swings and bang. Fish is caught. Krishna Bhaya Mukahaya Bhogavan Chakari Niketistamaya Tarajapatiyahaya. In the Prema Vivarta, Jagannanda Pandit says that as we are showing interest in the material energy, Maya is waiting nearby and she's ready to slap us down. Now when I read that verse, it shocked me. See, Maya is not just waiting for us to fall down. I thought the verse would sort of go like, well, if you get too close to the edge, you know, Maya is waiting for you to fall down. No, she's not. She's going to slap you down, says Jagannath Pant. Sort of shocking. So, it goes like that. And then afterwards we say, but I don't understand how it happened. It's, it's, it's somehow or other, it just happened. 
Because we nibbled. We nibbled a little. So no nibbling. Huh? Just when you see the hook, swim straight on. Even if you see a worm, even if you don't see a hook, there is one. Watch out. Huh? Think of the penguin. <coughs> Worse than Dracula. Mm. Other question? Yes. We talk about the flies. And, uh, yeah. uh, Everyone's talking about flies. Yeah. Let's talk about flies. Uh, flies and Prasad, indeed. Um, sometimes the flies come and take a bit of our Prasad. Yeah. Uh, just yesterday I was seeing one fly taken from a Maha sweet rice and um, in a first impulse I was ready to throw it off. Yeah. But then I thought let's get her let's get this security for her. And and I let her take it. But afterwards I thought uh, What do I do now? What do I do now? Shall I fly? And will it take the karma of the fly? And, uh, or and the germs of the fly? <laughs> and some <laughs> disease? Huh? Or is the Mahaprasad Kampi purified? Ah, Mahaprasad Govinde, Nama Brahmani Vaisnave, Svalpapunya Vatanrajan, Viswasanaya Vajayate. You have to have great faith in this Mahaprasad. Okay. I saw in Brazil, I saw one devotee, he had a piece of coconut. And he dropped it, and a dog, somehow or other, just this dog appeared, and the dog caught it in its mouth. It fell on the ground. And this uh, devotee picked it up and ate it. Oh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, I don't know if I would have done that. Whoa. But Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, it was Govardhan Puja in Mayapur, and at a big hill of rice. And the devotees were really, there was a lot of commotion, like a lot of like, loud voices. So Srila Bhakti Siddhanta came out of his room to see what was going on. And the devotee said, a dog, a dog, a dog, eight, eight from Govardhan Hill, a dog, a dog. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta said, where, where? The devotees, they, they, they said, there, there. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta walked up to that place, said, there. He said, yes. And then he just took and he ate it. <laughs> so what to do? I mean, I guess, yeah, it's like, uh, if you have great faith, you will just take the prasad. Uh, alternatively, One could, uh, you know, there are all these kind of things like radical water. I put it on my head, but I'd rather not drink it because I've had amoebic dysentery before and I know what it's like. And uh, yeah, so we can offer it to the cows.
or something like that. So in this way, there's solutions like that that we see very transcendental devotees. Raghunath Das taking that rotten rice thrown out from the temple lying in the street. There's more than a fly there. (laughs) But I think we should not artificially uh, try to be too transcendental drink a liter of radical water. I wouldn't recommend it. Not before you've run it like, maybe if you run it ten times to a Swiss water filter. (laughs) Possibly. But then again, we were in Mayapur, in the flood. I was there in 1989 in a flood, big flood, lasted eight weeks and about two meters. And uh, uh, in the beginning we were just scooping the water when it was still open. Uh, the, the Ganga came high and went over the, over the roads and so on, so it was open water. But then we would just scoop the water out of the Ganga, let the dusts let it put it in a, in, a, in a pot, let the dust go down, and then drink it. But uh, I'm still a little scared of that. We were also using that water for the Abhishek from Radhastami. It's this, this, in Mayapur you have the deities, there's a stage in front of the deities. Then the Abhishek table was there, and we were just taking the water, and then the Pujaris would just filter it to a cloth. And then we were just bathing the deity with it, while other devotees were swimming in the temple having a kirtan during the Abhishek. That's nice. Nice Abhishek. I would go for giving it to the cows or something like that, or to an animal, myself. At this stage of consciousness, that's what I would do. So I'm respectful to Prasadam, but I'm not taking the germs. But if you have great faith, then <laughs> I touch your feet. experienced being hooked by Maya and not later experienced that even that hook is also an illusion. And so I tend to very much to I mean I don't I, I, I have this this again because it comes back to this fear issue and I feel yeah. fear is introduced. I don't fear Maya because yeah. it's an illusion. Yeah. And even the hook is an illusion. 
Yeah. It may sting yeah. tremendously, yeah. and maybe even for lifetimes, yeah. but it's still it's still it's still an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well. <clears throat> Maya is, uh, is in the Vedic literature depicted as Durga Devi. She rides on a tiger. She has ten arms, and in one arm she holds a trident. And this trident is the threefold miseries of material existence. Miseries from our own body and mind, miseries from other living beings, and miseries from natural circumstances, from the devatas. So that's her trident. And uh, then Maya has two potencies. One is the throwing potency, the praksekatmika shakti. So the hook analogy is sort of describing the throwing potency. Uh, the throwing potency of Maya is especially used for those who are kind of aloof from Maya. They're tempted. They're brought into temptation. There's another potency of Maya, which is known as the Avananatmika Shakti, or the covering potency of Maya. Uh, now what happens is this, is that Srila Bhakti Thakur says that Maya is like, uh, well, just like in a, in a, in a war, uh, the enemy is not just standing on, on the other side of the battlefield. No, the enemy has also entered into our own ranks. There are spies. Right? So in the same way, Maya is not only outside of us, Maya is also within, and Maya is also within the mind. So, uh, therefore, Maya, the illusory energy, which is controlled by a personality, knows very well what our innermost desires are. Now in the throwing potency, the Maya will throw opportunities. Oh my God, what is this? That what I always wanted and I thought I would never get and I gave up. I gave up trying and now it's come. Now it's come. Now that I'm a devotee, now it's come. It's not fair, Krishna. I always wanted this and I never got it. And now I'm a devotee and now I got it. Oh no, take it away, please. Oh no, it's still here. Oh God, I can never, I, I, I will never forgive myself if I let it go. Anyway, I guess I can be a Maya for a day and tomorrow can always be a devotee again. Take it then. As we take it then, wang! After a while, we're enjoying and everything is good. Then comes this trident. And so, oh, 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 this was intense. Oh, oh, 
Oh, no, never again. <laughs> Ooh, I had enough. Oh, oh, no more Maya for me. Uh, but again, Maya will come. And again, opportunity. No, no, I don't want the opportunity. But then we start to rationalize and say, well, it's not so bad. The suffering was intense. But then again, if you don't identify with it, then it's okay. Intolerate it. And now, meanwhile, we are covered. We're covered. We're in this domain of Maya. The body is Maya. It is Maya energy. We are now in the material body. We have all this time in the material body been conditioned. We forgot. We didn't realize. Anadir Bhayamukha. Bhayamukha means Maya, means in the illusory energy. It's an other term for that. So since time immemorial, so many lives, so many lives, we forgot everything. And just, just recently, we took birth somewhere, uh, I guess, most of us in Europe, some in South America. Yes. And, uh, and that's it. And uh, so we, nobody knows about Maya. Yeah? Nobody knows about Maya. It's only that somewhere along the way we become aware of this, yeah? this knowledge. Now, are we f as the awareness is growing, it means we were, we were for a long time in the covered stage, covered by Maya. Now we're coming out of this covering. So, so the first question I would ask is, are we, to what extent are we free from Maya? Maya is very subtle. Maya is, is very much intertwined with every aspect of our life. Are we sure we're not influenced by Maya? Now back to your point of the hook is illusion anyway. Yeah, the table is illusion, but when I hit it, it hurts. And I hit it hard with my fist. Because it's not false. It's real, but it's temporary. But the manifestation is real. The suffering is real. So the suffering in this world is not false. We're experiencing it, but it's temporary. And in that sense, it's not real. Over time, it's not real. It will not be there. But now it's real. When I'm at a dentist, I'm at a dentist. I was, not so long ago. That's why I keep on saying dentist, because... I'm still a little traumatized from about three weeks ago. I had some sort of like a serious dental session, and it's sort of still a little fresh in the in the in the memory. I sort of like I still feel something weird in the abdominal region when I think about it. 
Yes, you're right. The pain of the hook may, with, may be with us for a while. Uh, some more esoteric people, they say that people have injuries on their subtle body. And someone was shot and they have a hole in the subtle body and it actually shows like that. Like, uh, possible, you know. So yes, I can imagine. It's like I have a tooth in my subtle body. <laughs> you know, it's not difficult to believe. Um, so meanwhile, it's it's all real what we're experiencing here, with with Maya. For now, the suffering is very real. Yes, one who is completely liberated can can just say yes. I'm not this body. I have no real relationship with this body. Therefore, it doesn't affect me. Very true. But to, uh, to realize it, it's not so easy. Not so easy, you know. something to say for that <laughs> but unfortunately there's pain on the other side also so it's but it could, it could also mean like the, like like in order to avoid going to the dentist take care of your teeth you know mm -hmm. that and and uh, this staying away from uh, like in a very very specific stay away from exactly this part of the material world is uh, a little bit of an analogy to your not going to the dentist um, to in, in my yes it, it becomes the same thing. Whereas, like, um, maybe it's a good thing to go to the dentist because it taught me that, like, mm, I really need to brush my teeth better. You know? mm -hmm. but, I, but that's like... <coughs> Some people, they learn it straight away, that you have to, you know, about brushing the teeth. And some people, they floss very nicely and everything goes great, you know, and... Uh, they don't have to go to the dentist so often, but wait a while, my friend. Wait a while. You can floss as much as you like. You can brush, you know, with like a super brush. But, you know, sooner or later, it's going to happen to you too. Old age, baby. And you won't believe, you won't believe what happens with old age. It's just amazing, you know. I mean, latest thing, you know, like some... I have this pain in my shoulder. The physio says, you know, your muscle here in the back became weak and as a result, this bone has moved forward and now it's grinding on the other bone. Jeez, you know. He says, what do I do about it? He says, weightlifting. Okay. But I'm traveling, you know. So, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Put some weights in my suitcase? <laughs> I can see myself, you know, I open my suitcase for the customs and there's only weights inside, you know, nothing else, because, like, you know, on my shoulder, you know, but, okay, it's really like, you get, I mean, I could give you a list, you know what I mean, and the teeth are hard work, girl, 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 girl,
oh, cavity. And then you go, from the cavity, then it goes like, oh, uh, you know, that's a deep cavity. You may have to have a crown, root canal, crown, da-di-di-da. Then you come like, okay, you know, there's another tooth. You think, well, you go to the dentist, says, well, I guess I need a crown. Then the dentist goes like, well, I'm not sure if we can save this tooth. And you go, but not save, you just put a crown. He says, no, I'm not sure if you can put a crown on this one. What do you mean? And then you hear the lady in the back, the assistant say, extraction, extraction, extraction. They go, extraction, extraction. Yes, we're very sorry, we can't save the tooth, but we'll send you to a specialist, you know. My normal dentist is a very friendly guy who kind of goes like, when he hurts you, he goes, sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you know, thank you. And then he sent me to the specialist, right? So the specialist for pulling teeth turns out to be a huge dentist, you know, a guy with hands this big. And he's like, just like, <laughs> he goes, open your mouth. I go, <laughs> I'm not opening my mouth. <laughs> he pulled it out and at the end shows me the, the root, you know, it has three points. It means he's got it. Oh, thank you. Oh. Yeah, old age. This is the interesting thing, is that you take care of the body and it falls to bits while you're in it. And that's what old age is all about, little by little. It starts when you're young, you know, you remember that little moped, you had one, I had one. And you know, we filed on the carburetor and like, and it was going really great until there was ice. That, that kind of rain that turns into ice. You have that in where you're from? I guess you have. We have rain. The gr when the ground is below zero and, oh, the, yeah. and the air is above zero, then when the black rain, rain. Huh? Black rain. Okay, black rain. When the rain hits the, hits the ground, it turns to ice. Boy, oh boy, did I fly with my little bike. <laughs> anyway, after a few stitches later, and like, you know, my kneecap ever since has been a little bit crooked, but what can you do? That was one down, kneecap down. Okay, I have a few other. I told about the boil yesterday, still have a, you know, little by little, it falls to pieces. I thought that people with glasses, you know, is there anyone else? Yeah, people. I thought that there's very few glasses in this room, I must say. I see contact lenses, hey, any other cheaters here? There you go. Anyway, I used to think that people with glasses are from another planet, that they are weird, kind of strange. And then at age 35, I couldn't see the deities anymore. And now I have glasses. <laughs> I'm weird. And then everyone thinks I'm from another planet. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just normal. You know, I used to be like you. <laughs> Come on, you know. <laughs> you have glasses. You know? It's a different species, people with glasses. No, it's not. I'm Anybody can get glasses. No. Yes. Yes, anybody. It 
can just happen to you. Just like that. Anyway, philosophically, returning to philosophy after the dramatic illustrations, is that um, the Uttama Adhikari, who is in, in love of God, saw that everything is perfect. It doesn't matter whether you are here in the material world or wherever you are, because you will go back to the spiritual world anyway, eventually. It may take uh, an, an amount of time that we even cannot express in mathematical numbers, but eventually it will be all over, and then the whole sojourn in the material world will be temporary. So even if it is almost unlimited, if it's temporary, eh, it's not important, it's temporary. But meanwhile, we're suffering. And it may be illusion, but we're suffering. When I was a kid, I had a little golden jaguar. And it was good, you know, a toy car, a golden, golden Jaguar, no, really, and it was good. And it, it would drive further than any other toy car, my favorite. And one day, I lost the thing in the sand pit. My God. I dug up all the sand until I came to the black earth. And I filtered it. I really wanted it back. And I didn't get it back. I suffered. I suffered with all intensity, you know what I mean? I suffered deeply at that time. You know, I still remember. Not long later, my mother announced that today there is a lady coming, she has a, a child which is a softenon baby. Softenon was a medicine which was taken off the market it caused uh, deformed children. And this particular child had no arms and legs. And it was coming to our house, and I was five. And it's going, oh no, no, God. A child's coming to our house, no arms and legs, oh my God. <laughs> the child came, and we're all looking. And <gasps> oh, how terrible, what a disaster, right? What a what terrible thing. And, and everyone, all the adults were, oh, the poor child. And I also, I felt so much compassion for the child. So much compassion. I gave my little toy dog, you know, my little doggy, you know. I gave it to that child. I, I had no idea what the pain of renunciation could cause, right? But I suffered. I suffered tremendously. And one may say, that's childish, you know. That's childish suffering. It's true, these are childish things. Just my little toy car, my little toy dog, you know what I mean? It's childish things. but. The, the, the issues were about childish things, granted. But the emotions were just as deep as the emotions of, of adults, you know, that lose 
something that is very dear to them. In terms of emotions, it was the same, the same intensity. It was extremely intense. So in this way, we may say, ah, oh, it's all Maya, it's all illusion. You know what I mean? Dear Arjuna, your teachers are not the body. They do. Nobody dies. Nobody dies. But meanwhile, we feel the pain. My beloved died. Died. My mother died. You know, when my mother was dying, it's like, you know, intense. The pain is, is there. Therefore, I'm, I'm going to finish. The pain is there. Therefore, we are compassionate and say, let's relieve the pain. Let's offer a shortcut for all this suffering. Let's go back now. Chant this Maha Mantra and you will be freed from all this suffering very quickly. This life, you can end it all. You can go back to God and now. Shortcut we can give you. This is all we're doing. If we don't give a shortcut, yes, eventually everyone will go back to Godhead. But there's going to be a little pain on the way. A little. There's so much suffering. So much suffering. Therefore, let there be compassion. Let's relieve the suffering. Stop the suffering now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and that story is the diamond today. And there's no more suffering in that story. The suffering, suffering has been transcended by the journey you have taken in your life. There is no suffering. Um, hopefully. If I don't nibble off the, off the worm. <laughs> um, gotta watch out for the worm. Yes, you better watch out. <laughs> yeah, watch out for the world. Yeah. Don't forget my penguins, you know. <laughs> no matter how good it looks, you know. No matter how good it looks. Okay, time's up. I went five minutes over. Thank you very much. Thank you.